WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The book of Acts tells us exactly what Jesus meant by giving Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven because it's there and you'll see it first in Acts chapter 2. It is there, note this, that we see Peter as the apostle who opened up the gospel message to two groups of people, the only two groups of people on the planet in one sense, the two categories. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Matthew didn't elaborate on anything Jesus might have added to that statement, and to us today, it might seem a little vague. Just what did Jesus mean when he said that he would give to Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven? We'll consider that today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. I'm glad you joined us as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues a series of lessons from Matthew 16 about the nature of the church. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Have you been told that when you die, you'll be standing before St. Peter at the gates of heaven, trying to explain to him why he should let you in? I suppose practically all of us have heard that story, and it is not from the Bible. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us what the Bible does say about Peter and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Well, first of all, before we determine what Jesus meant by the keys to the kingdom, we want to be very clear that we understand what he didn't mean by this promise made to Peter. And what he didn't mean by this promise was that Peter would have the exclusive right to decide who enters and who is excluded from heaven. You see, there are many who believe, based on this statement, that Jesus has assigned Peter to those pearly gates and you're not getting by him unless Peter okays it when you, when you die. And that's the result of this erroneous view is that there have been all kinds of tasteless jokes that have arisen about Peter standing at the gates of heaven saying all kinds of bizarre and odd things to people who hope to gain entrance. I looked up some things online this week and it is bizarre and tasteless too. That, that stuff is not only nonsense, It's theological heresy because Jesus Christ and not a mere man is the one who determines who enters heaven and who is excluded from heaven. Now, how do we know that? Because Jesus has told us that. In fact, if you look back at Matthew chapter 7, Jesus made it very clear. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, starting at verse 21, Jesus said some of the most sobering words we read in the Bible. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. The will of his Father in this setting is to come to faith in him and then to obey him as evidence of that faith. But Jesus said there'll be people on that day, that day of standing before him, trying to gain entrance into heaven, who will say to him, Lord, Lord, and Verse 22 says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? 
Sounds like these folks were involved in some type of what what in our day today looks like the charismatic movement. And they're going to say to the Lord, hey, we did this. We did. We prophesied. We did this miracle. We cast out demons. Let us in because we did all of this. And notice they're speaking to Jesus, not to Peter. What will Jesus say? And then I will declare to them. I never knew you, meaning I, we never had a relationship. There was never any intimacy with us. I mean, obviously, Jesus knows about all people and everything about them, but he never had a relationship with them. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They may have professed to know him, but by their lives, they deny him. So we read in that passage, Jesus said on that day, they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord. They're not saying to Peter anything. We also see the same truth in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus speaking about what will take place at the end of the seven year tribulation period when he returns to earth to establish his kingdom. We read in Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Notice once again, it's not it's not Peter. It's not any apostle. It's it's him. He's the king. Verse 34. Then the king. He is the king coming to establish his kingdom on earth. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's to believers. Notice it's Christ who says, come and enter into my kingdom. But in verse 41, we read, then he, meaning the king, will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil And his angels. So I just want you to see that Peter in giving him the keys of the kingdom is not the one who stands at the gate. And you got to figure out some way to get by him to get into heaven. So we need to understand the keys of the kingdom given to Peter have absolutely nothing to do with him being at the gates of heaven. Nor does Peter or any man determine who enters or who's turned away from heaven. So the question still is on the table. Then what does Jesus mean by this? What do the keys of the kingdom of heaven mean? And what do they have to do with Peter? Well, if we're going to correctly understand the meaning of the phrase keys of the kingdom, we have to get even more basic. We first have to establish the essential function of keys in general. What do keys mean? You see, keys in Christ's day, just as keys today, served the same basic purpose. Keys were used then, they're used now, to either open or lock a door. They either open a door to let someone in, into a place, or they close a door excluding that person from entering into a particular place. But there is a difference. There is a difference the way keys were used back then and the way keys are used now in a biblical context, the ability to use a key. If you were given a key to open or shut, shutting a door, it meant that the person in charge of that key had authority. He had authority to either admit or bar someone's entrance into a place. Now, we know that because of examples in the Bible. For for example, in Isaiah, you don't need to turn there, but Isaiah 22, verse 22, we read about God giving a man by the name of Eliakim the keys of the house of David, meaning that this man was given the responsibility as well as the authority to either admit or refuse anyone 
from entering into the king's presence. The, the house of David would mean the Davidic line, the, the present king of the nation of Israel. And this man, Eliakim, was given the keys of the house of David. If he let you in, you had access to the king. If uh, he did not, you were not allowed there. So he had authority. In fact, Jesus himself used the same kind of language to speak of his own authority to determine who enters into his kingdom. When he said in Revelation 3, 7, speaking of himself, he said, he who is holy, who is true, who has the keys of David or the key of David. That would mean the kingdom, the Davidic kingdom who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. If Christ opens the door. He has the authority to do it. If he shuts the door, he has the authority to do it. And nobody can challenge that. Jesus also used the expression keys of Hades and death in Revelation 118 to convey the truth that he alone has the authority to determine who dies and when they die. So we do need to understand that when the Bible refers to someone having keys, it does carry with it the thought of having authority to open or close a significant door. And that is precisely, folks, how Jesus is using the word keys here in Matthew 16 with Peter. Watch this. In telling Peter that he will give him the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is promising Peter the authority to open the door of his kingdom so that people can enter into salvation. In other words, Peter is the one Christ chose to initially open the door of salvation to the world. How? By preaching the gospel message after his death and resurrection. Peter's not standing at the gates of of heaven opening the door. He's already opened the door by his preaching. If you'll recall, the Lord began his statements about the nature of the church in verse 18 by comparing the church, he said, to a building. He said, I will build my church. That's the imagery of a building or a temple. And now by using the imagery of keys, the Lord is simply continuing along the lines of a building metaphor. Speaking of the building, now he tells him about the the keys. He's telling Peter that he will give him the keys that will open the door to his kingdom. So it's very consistent as far as the metaphors. Essentially, then, understand this. Jesus is promising Peter that in the future... In the future, from that point on, we looking back, it's the past. But in the future, he is going to have the unique, Peter is, an authoritative responsibility to tell people how to enter heaven. He doesn't determine who enters it, but he can tell people how to enter. Now, how was this promise fulfilled? How would we know how this was fulfilled? We would know it by looking at the book of Acts. So let's turn there. The book of Acts tells us exactly what Jesus meant by giving Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven, because it's there and you'll see it first in Acts chapter two. It is there. Note this, that we see Peter as the apostle who opened up the gospel message to two groups of people, the only two groups of people on the planet in one sense, the two categories. You have Jewish people and you have Gentile people, Jewish people are the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their sons and daughters, the Gentiles, everybody else. In other words, he used these keys of the kingdom to open the door to his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, so that Jewish people, as well as Gentiles, could now enter into a personal relationship with 
God. Let me show you what I mean by this. In Acts chapter 2, the context of Acts chapter 2, it is that glorious day, the day that the church was born, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. It's a feast. And there were scores, thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem who had come from all over Israel, as well as the Roman Empire, to the capital city. And just prior to this, on that day, the church was born. There was only 120 believers, and the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. And that's the official birth of the church. Now, notice in Acts chapter 2, in verse 14, we read this. But Peter... Taking his stand with the eleven, even notice then he's prominent. He's not the Pope, but he was prominent. He raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. On the very day that the church is created, Peter is the one who preaches the gospel to a huge audience of Jewish people in Jerusalem. And what's the result of all this? Well, after preaching the gospel, and we're only given a summation of what he preached, but notice verse 41. So then, here's what Luke, the writer the, uh, on the book of Acts says. So then, those who had received his word, Peter's word, what happened? They were baptized, and that day there were added, added to what? The church, about 3,000 souls. You had 120 to begin with. Now you have about 3,120 souls. So 3,000 sons and daughters of Abraham entered Christ's kingdom that day because they heard the gospel through Peter and they trusted Jesus as their Lord and Messiah. And ever since that day, the door of salvation has been opened and countless Jewish people have come to faith in Jesus. But it was Peter who initially opened that door for them by preaching The gospel. Then I want you to see Acts chapter 10. This pertains to most of you because most of you are Gentiles. Where did the door get opened? It got opened in Acts chapter 10. Now, the background of Acts chapter 10 is that there is a man by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. He is a Roman centurion stationed in the city called Caesarea, beautiful city on the Mediterranean coast in northern Israel. Peter, on the other hand, is in a, a city known as Joppa, modern day Jaffa today, right near uh, Tel Aviv. And that's when God revealed to Peter by giving him a vision of all kinds of food, unclean animals, He said, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything non-kosher. And the Lord said again, Peter, rise and eat. And all of this was to impress upon Peter the fact that God is opening the gospel to people who were previously unclean, Gentiles. And so some men from Cornelius go down to Joppa. They're told to go get Peter and bring him back to Caesarea. And we break in now at verse 34 of Acts chapter 10. Peter has arrived, and now here's what he says to Cornelius and his household. Now understand this Peter's never been in a Gentile home, it was unheard of. Peter's never eaten food like this, he's never been in the presence of a Gentile in his house, it was, it was uh, inappropriate. He wouldn't have touched the Gentile, let alone been in his house, but he's in the home of Cornelius a Roman 
centurion. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now, meaning I've never understood this before, that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, every nation means other than Israel. There's Israel and then there are the nations. In every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And then Peter goes on to explain about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, understand this. Prior to this, there had been individual Gentiles who were saved. That That's not new. In fact, Jesus himself dealt evangelistically with certain Gentiles during his own ministry. So that's not new. What's new here, what's new and what is special in Peter's ministry to Cornelius is this is the start of something brand new. You see, from this point on in the history of the church, the door to God's kingdom was open wide for Gentiles to enter in, but not as isolated individuals. Now you come by way of faith alone in Jesus Christ. You come as a people. You no longer need to go through Israel. Prior to this, everyone went through Israel. You see, you had to become a proselyte and follow the God of Israel. Now you come the same way as Jewish people by faith alone in Jesus Christ. This, folks, is remarkable. Most of you are Gentiles. In your hearts, you ought to be saying, praise God. I don't have to be a proselyte. I come directly to Christ. It's been my privilege when I've been in Israel to be in Caesarea. We always visit Caesarea. And one of the devotions that I give when we're in Caesarea is Acts chapter 10. This is where it all opened up. Do you realize the grace of God? Take no offense at what I'm about to say, but most Gentiles, their backgrounds were barbaric tribes running through northern Europe. That's exactly right. You, you were not the most decent to people. You were pagans born of pagans. You were immoral. You were lost. You, you believed in a plurality of gods who Paul said was nothing more than demons impersonating gods. That's the Gentiles. Dark world. You had no light. You were darkened heathen. This opened the door. I know you're all respectable now, but your ancestors were not. They were not. They were barbarians. This is what opened the door. And notice the book of Acts commentary on this incident of Peter and Cornelius. Notice one chapter over in chapter 11. We read this. Now, verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. This is unheard of. They've never, they didn't realize this. Nobody realized this. Even though Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. It just never dawned on them that the Gentiles are invited now to enter into the kingdom of heaven without going through Israel. And so now you have some Jewish people, Jewish believers in Judea, primarily in Jerusalem, the capital city, the headquarters, and they're hearing this. Notice verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, Jewish people, they took issue with him. I mean, I could just imagine him saying, Peter, what are you thinking? Going to a Gentile, entering his home, preaching the gospel to him? This is a message to Jewish people. Here's what they said in verse 3. You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. 
No Jew does that. Peter goes on in this chapter to explain what happened to him, that God had commanded him. And now he understands. And notice the conclusion in verse 18. When they heard this, this meaning the content of chapter 10 in summation form, they quieted down and notice this and glorified God saying, well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. They finally, at least the light was beginning to shine, because I don't want to say they finally got it, but they were beginning to get it, at least this group did. The reason that they didn't all get it, I know that, is because in chapter 15, now there is a major discussion. It's called the First Council, the First Church Council of Jerusalem. And see, what's happened now in the meantime, God has raised up a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the famous Apostle Paul, and he takes the gospel... Not simply to Gentiles, but he takes it outside of Israel to Gentiles. At least Peter went to someone who is respectable, a proselyte in Israel, that man by the name of Cornelius, an upright man. But now Paul and Barnabas, they're going to the pagans, people who have no clue as to anything about the God of Israel. And they're telling us that these Gentiles are coming into the church. They're being saved. So they hold this big council. And notice, notice in verse 13, we read about James, who uh, was the half brother of our Lord. And James apparently is acting as the chairman. He's a leader, even though he's technically not an apostle. He's the leader. And notice what he says. Notice his authoritative Word in verse 14, he says, Simeon, that's short for Simon, and that's Peter. Peter was Simon. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. He's telling us that the door was opened. The door was opened when Simon Peter, the rock, opened it because Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom. So based on these words... These words of Christ about the keys of the kingdom that he was promising to Peter back in Matthew. We understand that Peter just had a very unique role in the early formation of the church. Remember in verse 18, we learned that Peter's rock-like preaching would bring the first converts into the church, which it did. Now we learn that Jesus also gave Peter the privilege of opening the door of salvation to both Jewish and Gentile peoples. And once Peter did this, notice, he now fades from prominence in the book of Acts. Doesn't mean his ministry faded out. He still was going strong. But his prominence, at least in the scriptures, in the book of Acts, begins to fade. And then from chapter uh, about 15 on, Paul's ministry, actually even before that, the Apostle Paul and his ministry comes into view because God wants us to know that the gospel was going outside of Israel, even into the Gentile Roman Empire. What a revolutionary concept that was when the early Christians, who had been converted from Judaism, began to get it that the gospel is for everyone. Many of our churches today could use a similar wake-up call. We often get very uncomfortable interacting with people who are different. But imagine how uncomfortable Peter was going to Cornelius' house. And he did it anyway, because that's what the Lord wanted. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
If you're in Clearwater and looking for a church, we would like to invite you to see if Lakeside is for you. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For a map, a phone number, and information about Lakeside and the various ministries of Lakeside, go to lakesidechapel.com. To find out more about Verse by Verse, direct your web browser to versebyverseradio.org. Check out the Message Archive page if you'd like to go back and catch up on any of our previous classes. Or if the Lord is moving you to help support this ministry, we have giving information on our website as well. We do appreciate the generous listeners who help us pay for these broadcasts by giving over and above their regular giving to their own churches. That's versebyverseradio.org. And while I'm at it, I'd like to remind our visually impaired listeners about an opportunity. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and want a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. The key that opens the entrance to the kingdom of heaven is not made of brass or any other man-made material, nor is it some